Polico Live, Tyler Tucci, former uh, PM uh, of a hedge fund, and now the head of research for Cinerai, and Travis Nixon, myself, uh, data scientist by trade. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be going through a few tickers we like today, um, but mostly we've, we're doing some analysis right now that's really going to break this case wide open of what's been going on with this market. You know, we're, we're taking a really deep dive into the data for our supply chain constraints and oil prices. And we're gonna see how much of a relationship there is between what this dip has been and those two factors alone. Now think about all the inflation headaches that we've been facing, the Fed having to raise us through the roof and everything like that, that's really coming down to three things, energy, food, and housing. All the inflation mostly comes from those three things. There has been price increases after, the, uh, after that fact, but that's mostly been as a downstream effect of those issues. So the question is, if we can model out what's happening with energy prices and tie that the, the relationship and get some kind of causal relationship out of that, especially, as well as some of these supply constraints, can we better understand what's the future? Uh, and, and if we see a sudden move in oil prices or in uh, a lot of these uh, supply constraints, then does that mean that we can really start predicting macro effects in the market overall? Uh, and, you know, I think the Fed has been highly, highly responsive to what's going on in the market uh, and what's going on in, in people's minds. I mean, CPI print comes out and then Jerome changes his mind over the weekend. Um, so I, I think that that is um, a pretty strong case to make for understanding things on a more broad scale. Tyler, would you agree with this way of thinking? Yes, absolutely. And that was uh, on Sunday when, when we talked and kind of started to plan this week. I had talked to you about, I had seen a, a chart that someone had posted somewhere of basically the inverse uh, spot, the S&P naturally versus um, gasoline in reverse, i.e. the chart looks like this as the price goes down. Um, and there was basically, I mean, it was tracking very, very well. Um, the, the price of basically as gasoline goes higher, risk does poorly spy does poorly so i spent some time as a as a strategist on the sell side spent some time on the buy side and i know i can make any two lines look like they have something to do with each other if i work really hard so what is cool to me and one of the i always say one of the reasons why i work for cinerai is we have the ability to then say okay cool story but is this actually statistically significant or is this one of, you know, the, the, the market bedtime stories that, that help you sleep at night? Um, so that to me is what's really exciting. And, and some of the things that I'm pushing for here are, OK, so let's take some of those old market adages and, and actually pick them apart. And, and we have the ability and the people to actually perform the, these studies. Um, and we're going to bring your, you know, uh, your findings. Um, I'm pretty sure there's nobody else doing this for free on YouTube there. That's absolutely for certain. So a quick experience as to why this kind of analysis is so important. Uh, I worked with a company once it was right around the 2020 election cycle. And they had this machine that took every open source numeric data set around the world. So all the indicators that every country would publish, here's how much soy production we had this year, here's how our wheat index and stuff like that. And they would do a massive correlation matrix on every number they could grab and then put your target in. And so they were showing us like the power of this machine. So they're saying, look, I bet we can predict the US political race. And they put it in this huge machine. And there was a scary relationship of corn prices in Kazakhstan and Donald Trump's popularity. Donald oh, yeah. Trump likelihood of winning. 
And what they had picked up was a complete BS signal. Like if you put enough numbers into a soup, something's going to come out with like a scary relevance. And, but I saw these guys contorting themselves into the weirdest pretzel shapes, trying to make like, well, if you think about it, corn in Kazakhstan is really an indicator. That is my favorite. Like, okay, so here I have this random spurious correlation, defend it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless Trump is getting his tanning spray from Kazakhstan corn, I don't think there's a tie in. So <laughs> but but this is exactly it. These are the things that, that we're going to test for fact or fiction. You know, does does corn prices in Kazakhstan really, you know, in, improve the, the likelihood of, of Trump winning an election? Um, is higher gasoline bad for equities? I'd say, of course, yes. But can we quantify that? How bad? What is what is a dollar move higher in gasoline worth in in uh, S&P spot price, for example, that that would be something that you know, I'm, I'm hopefully going to have an answer to. Um, we'll also overlay our full eco health factors in there and kind of see what what we can we can make of that as as well. We think our uh, grossed up health factors are very good uh, macro analysts. So we'll 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 get back to you with all that tomorrow. Uh, we're very excited about it. I think this is one of the things that that we're best at. The other thing that we've really got to pull out of this is: is it a leading indicator, and if so, by how much? Because even if this is tracking and there is some causality, but the latency between oil prices and the stock market reacting is like 15 minutes. Like everyone finds out oil prices are charging upwards and 15 minutes later, they're like, de-risk. Then, then we don't actually have something that we can use. Like it'll be interesting to talk about. We'll still present the findings, but at the same time, does this inform future portfolio moves? Not necessarily, because if you're, if you're trying to beat Wall Street with all the resources they have in understanding oil prices and making portfolio moves accordingly, you sitting at your desk, you're just not going to be able to incorporate that much information and compete on, on that basis. So we're going to want to see at least a 24 hour lead time where you can input this into your portfolio and understand some of your own risk factors from that. But so today's show is going to be really short. We just want to talk about a few things. There is some interesting I was seeing. Um, Tyler and I, right before we went live today, started talking about Zoom and and some of the indicators that we have out of that now i want to show you what's happening in folico on this uh and why i think this is actually going to be an interesting conversation so in folico oh were you pulling up a chart tyler i was just going to leave that up there just to kind of provide context that's that's a that's a four-day candle zoom chart um maybe i'll just turn it to daily to show some people everyone you know what what uh they're more used to seeing that's a that's a uh 821 EMA cross and it's moving lower. And that was kind of what we, you know, to tee you up, we're concerned about where intellectually we like Zoom, but my charts don't like Zoom. Felico kind of has an indifferent view of Zoom. So, you know, what are we going to do here? Yep. Yeah. So, and I want to be really clear to all of our viewers. We are, uh, I am not going to be buying Zoom after this presentation. I just thought that this was an interesting thing to analyze and, and uh, give you a perspective of what it is we're looking at. Now, there is some kind of um, case to be made, though, that Zoom could be an interesting purchase in the near term. Our models are looking at this shape and we're seeing something repeating happening here. It's moving sideways, but if you can catch that volatility between the bands, then I think that you can make a little bit of a pop in your portfolio, hold it for a few days, catch that pop upward and then make sure you you get rid of it before it's a, it's about to pop back down. We're not seeing any kind of midterm strength. So there's not really a good case to be made that this company is going to be transforming and, and making it, its internals different. So now it's a good investment. 
But I want to show you what we're seeing on a health factor basis. It's almost complete meltdown. How well this company is competing with other folks is it's really in trouble. And and this makes sense. I, the pressures they're seeing. I mean, if you compare Zoom on a business productivity stack with um, Slack or Teams, it just does not match up at all. Like Zoom, you can set up some video calls, but is that going to scale to meet everything an enterprise needs? It has so far done better than people expected, but I, I still think it's holding on to value that it extracted from the 2020 lockdown and remote work that has yet to disappear from it. So I, and I think that that's a lot of the things we're seeing here in this deteriorating competition score. If you look there, it's been a roller coaster with something that's really going down quite rapidly here. But you you look across the rest of, of these health factors that we have, and it's a similar story. One thing here that I do like to see is management. Management has been holding uh, roughly still, um, maybe a little bit of a degrade lately. But when we see a stock like this, this is not something that I want to own. I might trade it. I might trade it. And that's the nice thing about Folico is you're getting that trade signal. But as far as an own signal coming out of management, management is an indicator for do I want to own this? And Zoom, I'm going to say absolutely not. Do I want to trade it? Maybe. Maybe. Thoughts on this, Tyler, as we're going through this? So, yeah, I, I think that's that's the right approach. It's a it's an arc name. So it's got that component in there as well. It'll can it'll perform as a function of the arc portfolio in addition to just as itself. And technically, oh, I, <laughs> get out. <laughs> so technically, you know, I, I see kind of like 65 is the ultimate support level. Um, I don't it's just not not again, like we were talking before, it's just not one of those that I look at and I'm like, yes, I need to own this here. Now it's cheap. That's, that's just not, like I say, there, there, there is a, you know, I could lose two fingers and there'd still be a handful of, of stocks that I'd like to buy and hold here. Um, but aside from that, and, and that's ultimately my problem. And that's, you know, uh, I, I feel, you know, to be quite honest, I feel bad. I, I missed a 500 point squeeze in SPY because I was so focused on the reshort. So that's that's kind of my problem here is now I'm caught where I think the reshort is the prudent thing to do. I'd be selling this, I'd be selling ARC. Um, I, I think it's it's time for another leg down. Um, but you know, I've also been wrong for 500 points. So- What do you make <clears throat> of the Fed uh, minutes being released? I just, there it's it's the two-handed economist right on one hand but on the other hand they simultaneously talked about being afraid of the the public not believing their resolve to crush inflation while simultaneously being concerned about overshooting like <laughs> uh so if you know I, I've, I've been doing this you know reading fed minutes almost a decade at, at this point. I'm, I'm pretty good at, at understanding what they're trying to say, even if they're not saying it well. And I have absolutely no idea what they were trying to communicate yesterday. They're going 50, it sounds like. That, uh, that much I'm pretty sure they, they've teed up is, is, is 50 next meeting. We're not going to do 75, which is Isn't interesting. Isn't that in and of itself quite a sign though? Yes. And that's the weird thing because they've been talking all that good stuff about, you know, we won't quit. We won't quit. 
and you know inflation's still running at eight and a half um i could point to some problems in the last inflation report that it wasn't like it's not like a clean across the board reduction in inflation would be like all right we're trending in the right direction there's a whole bunch of you know hair on that um so I'm I'm as confused by by this Fed as I've as I've ever been, um, just because they they are so overt about saying they want to crush inflation, but you know we had a we had a fifty bip drop in CPI last month and it's already mission accomplished. I mean to be fair, fifty bips is a is a powerful hike. They've just been feeding us seventy five, so relatively fifty looks like it's less and it is. But if you look at Historically, the the way that the Fed hikes versus cuts, they hike slowly and cut rapidly. So this rapid hiking is a very interesting uh, experiment. Um, and the interesting thing is, money monetary policy lags, right? So it probably will be a couple quarters until we kind of see the shutter of. Because I think it's more, it's almost as much a rate of change issue in the rate as as it is a. Um, outright rate level um because they ripped it up there pretty quick i mean terminal in a year that's that's you know uh, historically that is pretty speedy usually it takes you know at least a, a couple years to kind of get there but like to already have hiked a terminal pretty much in 12 months they they are backing up somewhat what they're saying it's not like they're just they're just walking it up at 25 bips and and swearing that if it gets bad they'll they'll be more aggressive they have been more aggressive um so that's that's really uh, i i need more direction from powell honestly they're going to go 50 and then he's going to kind of tell us what the plan is basically like i like i said last week the entire market and i mean all of them is basically hiking or cutting in 2023 that's the trade is is the 2023 euro dollar either steepener or flattening they're going to be hiking they're going to either be not cutting. And that's the other interesting thing is for you to win that trade, the Fed can do nothing in 2023 and you win that trade large. Like I think there's, there's almost a, a full point there. Um, so, I, I, and that's kind of what I think that, 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 that they're going to do. I mean, I, I don't, I, I just don't see how, unless things get really bad again, then of course they'll start cutting. Um, but until then, I'm not really sure absent, absent a rapid drop in inflation, right? Like if the month over month prints start to go negative, okay, the game's afoot. But even at flat, even if we get, I think we're, if it's uh, the next four prints are zero month over month, I think we get to like six, eight, which is still wildly high, by the way. Um, so, you know, obviously better, but six, you know, 6.5% CPI and the policy rates at four, that's probably going to need to get, you know, at least five. So that's, that's the question is I just, I just don't believe that the Fed can kill inflation without, I mean, they're going to have to cause some turmoil. Uh, that's the, the way out here is through the, the portfolio, the opposite portfolio balance channel effect is, is really what they've done the last 10 years, they're just going to have to reverse it and destroy some of that wealth. And, you know, that'll be the now, fastest way out. Tyler, here, here's something I don't understand, though. The, the Fed has this big lever that says slow down the economy, right? That it's, they're basically driving a trolley with one <laughs> lever in it, right? Yes. And it's the trolley problem constantly. Yes. Um, 
but they've been pulling the lever, slow down the economy. The economy hasn't really slowed like at all. Like unemployment is sitting historically low, right? I'm not seeing really the effects trickling through the economy of these rates being higher. So is the, the, the Fed's doing all these things, they'll raise 75 bips and then the next day the market's up and we right. don't ever see that backlash. Is there some kind of pent up looming economic disaster coming for us that we just haven't felt yet? Or is this just something that for some reason it's getting eaten up by whatever market dynamics are out there right now and we're just never going to feel this? It is certainly strange because the the traditional way I think about the Fed breaking things, they they hike a ton, the dollar rips, the dollar breaks something generally abroad because it's very uncomfortable when when the dollar's ripping for for non-dollar based dollar borrowers. Um, so that that becomes very painful. But this this one's been kind of weird because so the, the mortgage rate just doubled basically. Um, and housing slowing but it's really more slowing in the places it was just burning hot. Like, for example, Austin, Texas is, is coming back to planet Earth, right? It's not, there, there was a period where, you know, places like DC, places like Austin, where if you came and just offered the ask, it was offensive. So that's, that's <laughs> right, like, you just my asking price, how dare you? And now we're back to kind of, you know, a, a regular market, but, my in-laws sold their house in DC and they said that they, after, after 24 hours, they said, sorry, if you're not bringing in a cash offer, we're not going to consider. Right. I mean, it was, it was that, that's, that's a, that's a question for another day. I have, I have a, uh, a housing question slash thesis that we'll look at. Um, basically is this, is this just a dip before it just an ungodly rip for the next five years in housing, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there some other day. But basically, it's it's weird because housing's doing you know net net not amazing, but better than I would have expected given the mortgage rates you know seven rents are ripping. Um, housing seemed to have plateaued, and when it plateaued, I said, "Oh goodness, here we're at the top of the peak. Now we're going to see it." But I haven't seen that follow through down, and that's and, that's and the. The Economist came out with a big article on this. Their thesis is we're still underhoused in the United States. We're still short about three and a half percent of the total housing required to meet demand in the country. And because we're underhoused, we're not going to see that alleviation. So their point is we are going to see rising rents like we would normally in a housing downturn, but we're not going to see decreasing ownership costs, which just means another layer of higher costs for people. Yeah, I mean, right. That that makes and that's the problem, right? Is now no one can afford a a house, excuse me, and the, and rents are just going to be ripping higher. Um, so that's that's the weird thing is is I can't not I can't wait in terms because it'll be uh, it won't necessarily be good. But the the markets person and the person who is is fascinated by by how economics works is just going to be fascinated at, at how this is going to to figure itself out because it, it just doesn't seem um, sustainable. Well, what's what's happening in our economy? I, I feel like I, I've worked hard. I've, I've, I've earned a, a decent living. Okay. I can't, if I tried to buy the house that I'm currently living in, I could not afford it now. We got in right before housing prices just went crazy. I, I couldn't afford to live where I'm living. So 
I, I don't understand. How are all these people coming in with 1.5 million cash offers? Where is that coming from? Yeah, well, that's that's another great question, especially in the absence of of inflated crypto valuations, because for a while that was just the blanket statement, right? Like, oh, where'd you get the money to buy all your dumb stuff? Oh, I'm a crypto bajillionaire. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's not. There are there are definitely pockets of the economy that are doing well, but I wouldn't classify this as a you know an out and out boom. That's that's absolutely for sure. Um, and and that's yeah, it's it's just such a weird, weird chessboard setup to to kind of play because none of this one most of this has never happened before, right? I mean, this is this is the first time that the Fed's going to reverse. Basically, we did helicopter money. We finally did um, in in COVID. That was as close to helicopter money as I think maybe we'll ever see because now they knows what now they know what happens when they use the money hose on everybody and not just rich people. Right. Like I probably wasn't supposed to say that out loud, but that's I, I don't I don't I don't think we're going to ever see like these handouts like that ever again. Um, or we're going to see more of them. That's, right. my, that's my alternative hypothesis, because what we've seen is everyone got money and then there was wealth destruction through right. through a whole bunch of market loss. Right. And so and inflation. Right. And I, we I've already away. heard the case being made. Ignore the inflation part. Focus on the wealth loss for the wealthy, and we just figured out uh, redistribution. Right. I've already been hearing that, and and I, which is ridiculous. It's wrong. It's dumb because inflation is the higher tax, and it's regressive, right? But um, I, I I think that we're going to see this as a proposed instrument in the future. It just depends on how the will of the people who are under the inflation, right? I, I think this is the first time that. U.S. has ever experienced like real inflation where it's like, oh, OK, like, you know, my grocery bill was 100 bucks last week and this week it's 140. Right. Like where it's not like, oh, OK, you know, this cost three percent more this week and it kind of stayed at that price and it's a one time adjustment and I don't love that. But OK, fine. But no, I mean, price is running away from you every every week. Um, and and it obviously has has uh, stabilized somewhat, but at higher levels. Um, so that's the other thing that, that I don't know how appreciated it is, is how sticky this inflation is going to be and how willing it is to go back down to 2%. Um, a lot of people hiked prices for services and you don't then go back to your clients and go, okay, it's going, that thing only goes one way. It only goes up. You either leave it flat or you adjust it up. So I think there's a lot of that. I think the cost of services in general went up in the last two years. And, and I think, you know, absent some nasty economic destruction where we kind of have to start over, they're going to stay up. Um, not wildly up, like inflation is not going to be 10 in the US like that. But we could have... Okay. Well, that's a whole different set of freaking problems. Um, what, so what is going is, is that America sneezes, Europe catches a cold or uh, or is that something specific to the UK happening? A little bit of both. Um, it's it's just honestly, the UK is in the best situation of the European countries because at least they control both monetary and fiscal policy. They're terrible at it. But like, at least in theory, if if they were able to effectively implement policy, they have both levers to pull. So you can actually accomplish things. Whereas the ECB is like, okay, we're in charge of the monetary level. 
lever, all the uh, all the countries get the fiscal lever. You know, you you can't coordinate anything. You can't impose anything because if Which you want to disaster on both fronts, right? It's 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 why ultimately I don't know how viable it is. And people have been talking about this forever. Nobody cares about. It. I mean, this is the most macro fail uh, topic ever. Because yes, of course, ultimately something will have to go wrong there because it just doesn't work where if you're trying to impose tighter policy conditions on someone and they go, Oh, check out this, you know, tax cut because you can't stop us on the fiscal side. Um, not great. So I, I do think it's none of, <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm not a buyer of any of those European stocks. It's, it's all, you know, complete disaster. They've spent the last 10 to 20 years putting themselves in, in really kind of a, of an awkward position where they have uh, outsourced pretty much everything. Right. So like, if you buy the German ETF, for example, or the Italian ETF, like, what are you buying? Like, what's the, what's the company in there? You're like, okay, yeah, awesome. Like, this is like, you know, the crown jewel of this country. Like, it's just not there. Um, and, and that's why if you look Ferrari at Ferrari and San Marzano tomatoes, Tyler. Does San Marzano tomatoes have a ticker? <laughs> if San Marzano ticker. Uh, Cento. Cento, uh, who, who makes that? Anyway, um, so one thing I did want to say, though, and, and, and by the way, for all our viewers, we're, we're just informally talking today. This is just an interesting conversation. Hope you, hope you enjoy it. This is a little different from our normal episode format. We um, only plans but, like uh, going 10 minutes, by the way. We just. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes this is interesting, right? Um, yeah. But I, I do want to say the big shift that I think that we're going to see permanently in our economy is I think that people's views of the value of advertising companies, companies whose main revenue source is advertising. I think that view has changed. I, I, and the reason why I, I think that view is you look at all these social media companies that have been monetizing eyeballs and the value of eyeball has gone down. I, not that in the good times, you're not going to make money. Sure, you're going to make money. But I think that this is a high beta asset to have and to monetize as a company. In the downturn that you're seeing like this, there's a stack ranking of risk on these eyeballs that you're monetizing. And I think you're going to lose all that lower tier very, very quickly. Look at what happened to Snap. Look at what's happening with a lot of these companies that rely on capturing people's attention and then monetizing it through ads. And I think we've learned you've got to actually produce something real. You can't just monetize an eyeball you you also for so long the social media strategy has been attract the young generation and then that's going to be the cool thing and then that's going to filter up to everyone else well it turns out the first generation to be considered worthless in a down economy is that young generation that's not spending any money so you might be investing on being cool in the future but your current asset is zilch so i think that that has been a sustained crash in this market that we're probably never going to see back again. I, I think that investors are going to have to reconsider how they weigh eyeballs. Yes, absolutely. Eyeballs don't spend any money. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Tyler, we, we, we need to get running, but you were, you were looking up something specific to the uh, Cento, San Marzano. I, I couldn't find anything. If we find it, I'm going to probably buy it no matter what. It'll be in my PA forever. Um, so I'll let you what, know. What happened though? I, I remember maybe 10 years ago buying Prego and thinking like, this is good stuff. And now San Marzano came in. And if you eat a tomato that's not San Marzano, you're like, what, what am I doing? 
<laughs> like, there's only there's, one kind of tomato that's valid anymore. Yes, if, if you're yeah, if you're making sauce, there's yeah, except no substitutes unless it's from the garden. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for joining us on on this more rambling format today. <laughs> um, but look, tomorrow, not at 8.30 a.m. We don't know what time of day because we want to bring you this exclusive content uh, as soon as we can make it right. So we're going to bring you that show tomorrow. It's going to be on the, the correlation and hopefully causation between oil and input prices and the stock market where we're at. And that will hopefully inform portfolios uh, as to where we're going to be going in the future. So thank you all for joining. We'll see you tomorrow.